0: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I have a great buzz on the street quote for you that will set us up nicely for our topic. The buzz is from Jeff Bezos. I don't have to tell you who he is, Amazon. Here's the quote. Profitability is very important to us, or we wouldn't be in this business. Interesting quote. So we're going to say attention CFOs wherever you are in our global listening audience, and thank you all for being so loyal to the series over the years. You may think you have a grasp on the meaning of true profitability, but... We're going to ask you to take a closer look at what you think is your grasp because chances are your insights are not complete. You may have a great feel for calculating gross margins and direct costs, but wait a minute. Do you really understand how your business consumes variable costs, overhead costs? What about customer-specific discounts that affect specific customer profitability? Do you know how your IT costs are consumed Do you know how they're charged? Do you know which customer groups and which product lines add the most or detract the most from your bottom line? Well, it's time to take a closer look at how you are calculating your profitability. So our title of the show today is financial hide and seek, uncovering hidden profits and costs. We're most interested in helping you find the profits, but you might find some costs along the way that will impact that. Welcome again. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and this is Financial Excellence with Game Changers. If you're keeping track, this is season eight. That's right. We've been on the air with this series for eight years, and this is episode number seven of 2019. Shout out to Chris Grundy in the UK at SAP. Thank you for putting together this show. And now let me tell you who. My guests are, and we're going to hear from them quickly. They're going to introduce themselves and tell us what they do. In just a moment, you'll be hearing from Rob Kugel, a returning panelist. Always welcome here on Game Changers at Ventana Research. Then we're welcoming two new people to the show, Michael Ray at Tartan Solutions, Tartan like the plaid. He'll tell us what that's all about. And Michelle Hazendonks at SAP. So welcome to my esteemed guests. Rob Kugel, please tell us a little bit about what you do. What's new with you? Oh,
2: well, thanks, Donnie. Uh, For the last uh, 17 years, I've been running the Office of Finance and Business Practice at Ventana Research. We started Ventana Research 17 years ago to focus on um, critical issues facing business and how IT can help address those issues.
1: Thank you very much, Rob. Always happy to have you on. What's your thought on profitability? Is it as elusive as it sounds like from my introduction?
2: Well, but a lot of companies do a decent job of managing profitability, otherwise they'd be out of business. The question is, can they do a better new strategic job by actively managing profitability, actively managing product profitability, customer profitability, channel profitability, and so on?
1: Question for you. Does the CFO need to hire new people to find out where these hidden costs are, or is this something that's within the, is it being overlooked, Rob? I'm just trying to get your take on the topic before we get, I'm going to ask the same questions of the other panelists. What's your take on how hidden are they, or is it just they're not looking in the right places?
2: So they're not looking in a comprehensive way in in all of the right places. Again, you know, if you're not doing a decent job of managing profitability to some degree, uh, you're probably going to go out of business. Uh, So the question is, can you do it better? And I think the answer is yes. Can you do it with the people that you have? I think yes. But you need to manage the process, manage, you know, uh, uh, know, how you're doing this uh, much more effectively than you have in the past. And you must be able to utilize uh, IT tools That are now available um, to uh, make the process run much more smoother and uh, be more effective.
1: Thank you very much. Welcome back. Rob, let's go to one of our newbies, Michael Ray at Tartan Solutions. Michael, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about what you do and your thoughts on how hidden are the hidden Uh profits and costs.
0: Got it. Great. Thank you, Bonnie. Uh, so My name is Michael Ray. I'm a managing director and co-founder of Tartan Solutions. Uh, we've been in business since 2006, and our focus has been primarily in helping companies basically take their, their ledger and their transactional data and turn that into a profitability, a, a P&L by customer, by market, by product, by channel. And um, so we, we basically take a three-pronged approach, people, process, and technology. We do kind of start with the technology end of it, but there's, there's the other two legs of the store vital in order to, to have a fully functioning and sustainable uh, uh, customer profitability system.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate that and welcome. And let's talk to our third panelist, Michelle Hazendonks. donks Did I get that right, Michelle? Am I on the right, right pronunciation there?
3: Really nice, really nice. I know it's a yes. very difficult name, so yes. thanks for having me, Bonnie, on the on the on the show. Uh, so yeah, my name is Michel Haselbox. Um I'm Belgian, uh, so that's why where the weird names comes is coming from. I'm part of the global solution owner uh, of uh, solution management uh, team at SAP in the area of financials, which basically means that I'm the human interface um, between our development organization and the outside world. Um, I'm focusing uh, for the last 23 years on everything around finance and performance management and always have been interested in the link between, let's say, the finance function and IT. So that's what I do in short.
1: Thank you very much. What's your thought? How hidden is profitability? Is, as Rob says, is it a question of being more strategic and knowing where to look, or is it a question of bringing on new data scientists, perhaps? What's your overview of that? Well,
3: the the logical uh, answer you might expect from somebody from SAP would be yeah well you just need need to implement the greatest uh, and latest tools from from our organization but that's not that's not what I want to, that's not what I want to answer. Uh, in fact, I believe that let's say the the basis for for getting everything right is, is to make sure that everybody in the organization is speaking the same language, uh, has has the same dictionary on KPIs, and and for instance, if you talk about geographical uh, profitability or cro- country profitability, to take another example, let's say what country are we talking about? Is it a country where the transaction is taking place? Is it the country? Is it the country where my uh, let's say business partner is located, or or what is it? So. That's the first thing uh, I think everybody needs to get straight. And, of course, when when we have it all straight, then we can start looking into how and at what level of detail we need uh, information, what's making sense uh, from a responsibility accounting perspective. And then only in the third stage we can start looking into tooling, I think.
1: Thank you very much, Michelle. Thank you to all three of you for your overview. Rob Kugel sent me the following. If you're just new to the show, this is where I ask the guest in advance to please send me a quote, one of their favorite quotes that has nothing to do with the topic, and then explain why they picked the quote and what it does have to do with the topic. So Rob Kugel at Ventana Research has sent us a quote from Robert Frost. Poet, American Poet, winner of four Pulitzer Prizes. Rob, I don't know if you know, but uh, Robert Frost never graduated from college, but he received more than 40 honorary degrees, including Princeton, Oxford, and Cambridge, and the only person ever to receive two honorary degrees from Dartmouth. He had some illness issues in his life. Here is the quote, and it's from the poem or the writing called The Hardship of Accounting. Quote, never ask for money spent where the spender thinks it went. Nobody was ever meant to remember or invent what he did with every cent. Rob, I love this. How did you find this? uh i'm not sure
2: it's uh, you never asked me where some little trivial piece of information stuck itself in my brain i just don't <laughs> remember but it was many years ago and and the, the reason behind the reason i chose this particular quote is maybe give it a little background here when when robert foster was attending dartmouth so eventually he did get a couple of degrees out of them he was doing that in the 1890s and his grandfather <clears throat> was giving him $5 a week uh, for living expenses. Now, that's roughly $140 a week in today's money, so a pretty substantial sum, but, but pretty typical for the times. His grandfather... Stipulated that uh, Robert provide him an itemized account of every spent, pen, penny he ever spent where, where it was spent and why uh, you know so Frost, uh, you know a poet in the making didn't see the point in doing this and, and some forty years later you know still you know I guess ruminating about that he, he wrote that poem okay well that's art. Right, but you know when we're talking about you know, business and that's what we're here to talk about you know we need to do a better job of, of managing profitability. And the thing about profitability is that every penny does count. So it does matter uh, what, what, what you did with it and, and how, how you track it and and, and be, be sure that you're managing your expenses um, strategically. So, you know, in the grocery business, for example, even just getting a 10-basis point improvement in gross margin, it's significance, I mean, just little things add up to, you know, the bottom line. Uh, over the past couple of decades, we've seen ongoing improvements in the technology and resources that companies have available to them to do uh, a better, more strategic job of managing their profitability and profitability in terms of the customer profitability, product profitability, channel profitability, geographic profitability, et cetera. We haven't seen uh, much of a change in their behavior to take advantage of this capability. So on today's show, I'm, I'm expecting that all of us will be talking about the people, process, data, and software issues uh, that companies need to address to manage profitability in a much more active fashion. And because we're pretty late in this business cycle, I think managing profitability uh, is, is becoming increasingly important to uh, make way for the, uh, uh, the more difficult times that are probably ahead.
1: Thank you very much. I adore the quote. Rob, I'm glad it it, uh, stuck itself into a a corner of your brain somewhere and stayed with you because it's absolutely perfect for our show today. Thank you. Michael Ray has sent us a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, another poet, also a philosopher, 1803 to 1882, American essayist, lecturer, philosopher, and poet who led the transcendentalist movement of the mid-19th century. Let's just stay there. Here is the quote. Our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising up every time we fail. Michael Ray, please tell us about the quote.
0: Sure. So so this is a, one of a handful of different quotes that kind of points to the idea that if you don't get it right the first time, you keep on trying over and over again. Um, I've fond of telling my, my clients when we go into a, an implementation that it's iterative to get it right. And that doesn't necessarily mean you failed the first time through, but um, uh, accuracy comes before precision. And to, to get it truly as, as good as it can be, it just takes a lot, of, a lot of iterations, a lot of spit and polish to get something get, get something all the way over the line to be deemed a, a long-run success.
1: So would we, would, would we say in this quote, Michael Ray, that the failing part, rising up every time we fail, would be the CFO not finding the, the hidden cost, not being strategic? Uh,
0: yes, or, or sometimes failing is putting a, a, putting a system in place that you think is providing the right answer, but perhaps is not, or putting a system in place that finds the right answer for a while, but then falls off the tracks a few months in.
1: Oh, very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Okay, I like the quote. Uh, I think it goes with uh, "fail fast and fail often," or "try, try again." Good, better, best. Never let it rest till you your good is better and your better is best. You remember those, Michael? I do, too. Okay, and let's move on to Michelle. Michelle has sent us a quote from somebody I've never heard of before, John Howard, John Winston Howard, Australian former politician who is the 25th Prime Minister of Australia from 1996 to 2007. Uh, very prolific writer, I guess, because this is an interesting quote. The bicycle is a curious vehicle. Its passenger is its engine. Michelle, you have to tell me how this relates to our topic, please.
3: Well, first of all, um, I found this quote just by accident. I also didn't have a clue who John Howard was uh, at the time. Um, but the, the basically what immediately gave me, um, made me think of it uh, about is, is the fact that just how he puts it, like, yeah. Normally, you think of the, as as the, uh, as the person as a passenger of the bicycle. You never look at it as as the engine of the actual vehicle, and that's that's basically the the whole point behind this. It's not about bicycles. It's just let's say all, you can look at different. From different angles at, um, at anything, also on your financial data, and I think when we're talking profitability, you we're talking hidden costs, then that's exactly what this is about. We need to look into our financials from every possible angle. We need to understand the underlying drivers where my profitability is coming from, which might be directly impacting or indirectly impacting. Um, and a second element which in fact because there's a, a second note to, to this quote in uh, in or which immediately flashed through my head when I wrote uh, read it the first time, is that um say so yeah, well there's there's two pieces to it. Like there's the engine piece, there's the passenger piece, the human piece and the technology piece. And the hand, hand in hand so we can basically make uh make this work uh better. Um, if you think about, like, modern bicycles, there's more and more e-bikes around. Let's say the engine part is partially being taken over, meaning we don't have to put everything uh, down on paper by penciling it down. We don't have to. We can use all kinds of, let's uh, say, technological means to help us uh, further in, let's say, grasping all of those hidden costs. That's basically the link that I want to make to today.
1: Thank you very much. I've just never thought of the bicycle that way, and it's so obvious, Michelle. It's it's right there in front of us. Its passenger is its engine. I know. Very interesting. Thank you so much for relating that. We're going to circle around and get to know our panelists a little bit better. This is the up-close and personal part of the show, Rob Kugel at Ventana Research. By the way, Rob, how did Ventana get its name? I don't know if I've ever asked you that, and then I'll get you to the personal questions. Go ahead. Well, ventana means window in, in Spanish,
2: and, uh, and we thought of it as a window of opportunity uh, for businesses to uh, improve performance.
1: Thank you. That's very simple. I appreciate that. Now, tell me, where in the world are you calling us from today, and what's your favorite drink? You've done this so many times with me, but what whether, either is in your cup that's interesting today, or what would you rather be drinking?
2: Rob? Oh, I thought you said Kevin, uh, no,
1: no, no, well, Rob, 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 you're next,
2: <laughs> uh, well, let's see uh, what i what I'd like to be drinking now is Molson because it's Canada Day when we're recording this, so uh um, that's right, uh, you know, just raise, raise, raise a cup to our neighbors to the north.
1: Very, very interesting. Is that your favorite uh, Molson beer? Is that your favorite every day or just on Canada day, Rob?
2: No, just on Canada day. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. You made me smile more than that. I appreciate that. Mike Ray, are you with us? Mike, where are you calling from yes. today, and what's your favorite drink?
0: You betcha. So I am calling from uh, Ohio, and my, my favorite drink is actually from Ohio local brew, uh, Great Lakes Elliott Mass. It's a little little brewery out of Cleveland and discovered it some time back, and uh, it's become uh, one of my staples. Good for a steak, good for a sitting on the back porch.
1: Great Lakes Elliot Ness Elliot Ness was the untouchables, right the gangster you got it that's right that's right well, what's so special about that? just tell me what's so special about that beer I'm looking it up great lakes Elliot Ness, okay, what's so yeah, special about it
0: It's just a very smooth amber lager it's a, it's a little more I'm describing maybe even smoky in taste a little different than than like a Sam Adams or something, and uh just uh for me it's just a good thing to be drinking when you're sitting on the back porch on a hot day.
1: Interesting here. Oh, I'm trying to get the website it wants to know if I'm twenty one or older. Should I lie and say I'm over twenty one, Mike?
0: <laughs> I'm not gonna answer.
1: Don't. Here's the website, Elliot Ness. By the way, Elliot is spelled with one L and one T. I have a friend in New York who spells this with two L's and one T, and I know there are so many variations. Elliot Ness trademarked Amber Lager. Admittedly, it's a bit of a paradox to name our Amber Lager for history's most famous agent of prohibition, but it's a smooth, malty, and dare we say, arresting paradox. How do you like that, Mike? <laughs>
0: that good.
1: Sounds really good. Somebody was very, very clever writing there. And let's go one more stop around the table to Michelle Hasendogs. Michelle, where in the world are you today, and what's your favorite beverage?
3: Well, I'm calling from uh, my home country for a uh, for a change, Belgium. Although I'm traveling a lot, uh, I always like to come back to uh, to Belgium, uh, especially because of let's say a typical beer. Uh, Belgium is quite known for its beers, I think internationally, so how can I do something else and take a Belgian beer and then there's a like ten kilometers uh, from my home there's a, a brewery of uh, Hosho which is called Duhall. Uh, Duval, which is uh, a pretty well-known beer, I think, internationally. It's also my personal favorite. So, again, an alcoholic drink. I'm not drinking it uh, at this time because it's a pretty strong one. Uh, so, I'd rather do it over the weekend, uh, once in every while. Um, and why do I like it? Because it comes with its own very special taste, with its own very special glass. So It's all about the entire experience, uh, not just about Uh, Let's see, making sure that you're not thirsty anymore.
1: Well, that's very admirable. And I'm looking here, I looked it up, and I see uh, we tried the world's best beer in Belgium, and it says Duvel, D-U-V-E-L. Is that correct? Nice bottle. That's it. And I see the glass. It's beautiful. You can buy the glass. Wow, very, very nice. Ten Best Belgian Beers, the Independent, Belgian Monks Resurrect Brewery After Two-Century Break. This is an article from May of this year. Beers in the Belgian Tradition. Oh, my goodness. Very interesting. Thank you very much. We love interesting drinks. We're not going to take a break. We're just going to pun intended, barrel through. No, we're not talking about wine. I don't know. Did do they brew beer in barrels? I'm not sure. We're just going to barrel through and go into our into our, I'm sorry, into our roundtable section here. And I'm looking at Rob Kugel's notes here. And Rob, Let's start with your first statement here. I'm going to ask you to elaborate on it a little bit for a couple minutes, and then we're going to see what Michael, Ray, and Michelle have to say about this, and then I'll pick a statement from Michael. We'll go around the table, one from Michelle, and we'll just keep going. So Rob says, companies throughout the developed world have been reporting record profits and profitability. That begs the rhetorical question, why is managing profitability a problem? You want to expand on this for me, Rob?
2: Sure. Uh, So it's true. Profit margins are historically high. um, And in the United States, companies have been benefiting from a reduction in the federal uh, tax rate. Uh, So those things have uh, all kind of gone down to the bottom line. But uh, I think it's important to recognize that, uh, you know, these are the golden times. Um, And, um, you know, it's easy to deny that there's an issue uh, with profitability when times are good. We're making money. What's the problem? Um, Most companies aren't facing, you know, drastic price-cost squeezes as they might have this late in the cycle, which is typical in old cycles. Um, in fact, some are even taking advantage of of their, you know, higher than average uh, profitability margins uh, to absorb the impact of uh, recent tariffs and to hold prices and maintain market share, sacrificing a bit to the bottom line. But this isn't the kind of active, systematic approach to managing profitability um, that I think we're going to be talking about here or that we've been talking about uh, for for years here. Um, it, it it's another reactive, tactical response to an external development. And like I said in the opening, you know, you're not you're not going out of business. You're, you're doing such a terrible job, so you can be doing a much better job. because, And, and you should be because, uh, you know, these good times are going to end sooner rather than later. And that's the reason why it's essential for companies to adopt a more active and analytics-driven approach to managing product and customer profitability right now. Because anybody who's lived through a downturn knows that, you know, companies are, are far too distracted fighting fires to undertake a new profit management approach that would at that time maybe help them. Uh, and certainly they won't want to spend the money on, on the tools that they need to, to manage a different process to, you know, make it, you know, part of, of what they do day to day. But, it, you know, it's precisely because these are the good times that your company should be preparing to manage profitability in a strategic way. Uh, figuring out which customers and which products are as valuable as others, really, 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 not just uh, well, this is what we think. And deciding how to react. In fact, when, when demand drops, try to figure out, you know, how do you, you know, respond there in terms of, of, of pricing and, and cost management? And, and the reason start now is the same reason why you do fire drills or anything else like that. You don't have a fire drill when the building's burning down. You need to have fire drills before when nothing's going wrong so that everybody can learn what to do.
1: Thank you very much. Interesting uh, comments here, Mike Ray. Join us. Agree or disagree with Rob Kugel? What do you think?
0: So I, I guess I do agree with this. But and to add to that, um, you know, that which cannot be measured cannot be improved. Mm-hmm. So the the uh, whether profit is good or bad, it's it's valuable to be able to to segment customers and products, you know, and and all of the other dimensions, regions, and channels that have been mentioned. So that it can be determined, you know, who are the cash cows, who are the who are the big the 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 customers that are that are generating the most the most profit in the company, and and a lot of times if if a if the system is not correct in place the the answer that that's concluded can be wrong as well. So if if it can one of the reasons to implement a system to to try to understand a full P correctly is to know if. If the uh, if you're, who you're, who are really your cash cows, who are the dogs, and who are the who are the who are those that can be customers that can be grown, and who are the you know, who's the the tail? Maybe that's going to lose money no matter what, um, and and then maybe potentially rectify that uh, that type of customer as as quickly as possible.
1: Thank you, Mike. Michelle Hasendonks, join us. Agree or disagree with either or both of your co-panelists? Please talk to me.
3: Well, my thoughts are my, my thoughts are going in uh, in relatively the same uh, direction for sure. Um, I'm not. I don't. I don't have uh, all of the statistics on all of the regions in the world and whether everybody's just as profitable uh, today. Uh, well, in, in general, business going going uh, quite fine. But I I have two immediate let's say things which uh, shoot are are shooting through my head uh, when I hear this, uh, which which I would like to add because I was kind of missing them, and I think they're crucial. First of all, it's very interesting, let's say, whenever a company is laying down, let's say, their, their, their financials uh, to the outside world, that's piece of the puzzle. Of course, internally, they probably have even additional information. So often they're just looking to to uh, to, to the past and, and to the present. Um, I think there's uh, where where they, uh, where companies are having overall a lot of questions and are a lot of struggles around is to uh, let's say predict the future and, and what's coming up. And and I th- I think particularly I think that's very important because the world is you know, like and of course we are always saying this, but I think it's particularly true today. And the world is uh, let's say uh, moving. Uh, very fast, changing very fast. Everybody's thinking of new business models, what they can do. Let's see how many companies are not moving away from classic production to service type of industries. Uh, just, just as one example, but does that make sense? Is it really the right thing to do? Is that the way ahead? Is that the way from a financial perspective for how we can say, maximize our profit? I think that's one of the key questions uh, to to ask. And then the second one, uh, which, the second element I'd like to add, if I may, is to come back to Mm -hmm. one of the very first points that Rob was mentioning. On the relationship to tax, uh, the relation to tax, I I think that's that's highly underestimated as well. Um, Tax legislation is getting more and more complex, um, my two colleagues on the line are from the U.S., so they know much more about the tax legislation doubt in the U.S., but also in other parts of the world, let's say taxes are, are very, very complex and with a lot of organizations are becoming more and more global uh, doing, let's say, production all over the place. Let's say the end-to-end uh, view on their, on their margin, that, let's say the contribution of every single step in the value chain is so crucial to get into much more detail than typically they can do today. Um let's say from a lot of talks that I have with many organizations across the world, that's still very much of a pain point, which we need to get uh,
1: solved. Thank you, Michelle. Good perspective on that. Rob, any comments you want to make back to your co-panelists before I move on? Rob Google?
3: Let's move on. Let's move on.
1: Okay. <laughs> That was very, very, very nicely put. Michael Ray, I'm calling you Mike off and on because when we had our prep call, you said that was okay. So Mike Ray yes. has sent me the following information. Uh, this is talking about financial modeling. He says the five critical attributes of any successful financial modeling endeavor are Cost, I'm looking at your list here. Cost effectiveness, timeliness, usability, sustainability, and credibility. You want to just take us to a quick overview of these five, and then we'll see whether Michelle and Rob agree or disagree. Mike, go ahead, please.
0: Sure. Great. Thank you. So, so I'm going to start with the last of those that you mentioned, because that's the reason to put such a system in place to begin with, credibility. Mm-hmm. And for credibility, what that basically means is that the people consuming the information can trust it. And to us, that means that there has to be confidence that the typically we're dealing with alloc- cost allocations, that the allocations were done correctly using appropriate drivers. And ultimately, one of the other uh, items related to credibility is that the sum of the parts should equal the whole. And what that means is when you if you imagine having a, a P&L by, by product or by customer, if you sum that up, it should tie out to the ledger. And there's going to be certain variances, certain costs that have to be treated uh, a special way sometimes um, that would cause them to either come out of the ledger or, or something like that. But we t- tend to try to park those in a way that they can still, even, even though it can be consolidated back up into the total, so that if somebody from the top level view says, I don't believe this customer number, I don't, I don't, I don't recognize these numbers, you can say, well, you're just one slice, your customer's just one slice, uh, here's all the slices put together, and they tie up to the GL. So... If you don't like that answer, let's, you know, we, could, we can then have a discussion about how things are allocated, but you can't have a discussion. We, we have faith in the numbers that we started with from the get-go. On the other 4 I'll go through a little bit more quickly. Um, so sustainability, that basically just means that the system can run as a going concern and ideally run with with people running it or who are different than the people who put it into place. Um, We've seen cases in the past where sometimes a system runs for a while and then a key man leaves or uh, uh, a data source changes and the quality of of the the results being produced degrades over time and then you risk losing credibility. Um, Usability, the system needs to be usable from from a top-level executive perspective and also from or from, uh, by, by, say, more tactical analysts. And so we typically envision a, a system that, uh, has like a high level BI view of the world and then also, uh, easy to get to the, the more granular data from, from people who are, uh, need to have the data, say, in a spreadsheet or in a more of a table view. Um, timeliness, that just basically means I think we're going to hear over and over that the, the idea of a, of a customer profitability system um, is to is to make it a systems based like part of part of the financial quo so that every month you get a you get a renewed view an updated view of the world and it 's not a one off study that that 's parked and then disregarded for you know for a long period of time um, and last but not least cost effectiveness so the system itself needs to be cost effective while it 's delivering on the other four points that are made, so the system needs to be something that can can uh, Basically, be afforded by the by the company that would consider implementing such. And it's it's not trivial. There's a software cost typically, and there's also a cost of of training up people to to make good, say, modeling decisions. And then there's a support team a you know business process team that has to be put in place, or people have to be uh, kind of trained up to to run the system as a going concern. That that doesn't come free but it can come economically and i would argue more economically today than any time in the past because the, the technology piece is, is further along now than it, than it has been in, in the past
1: thank you mike very interesting very good overview michelle talk to us agree or disagree you can pick and choose any of the five points of this financial modeling system that mike shared with us what are your thoughts please
3: all right. Uh, I was just listening very carefully and I made made a couple of notes to be honest because there was so much information in this <laughs> that I had to mm-hmm. take it down. Uh, so I, I probably won't won't come back to all of all of the individual points. Just a, a couple of elements on the on the transparency. The very first point, uh, which was uh, uh, called up by uh, by my um, the transparency end to end across, let's say, my my entire set of financial and and even non financial information. Let's say, I, I would take that, let's say, as an absolutely yes. We need to get that done because there's far too much discussion on who is having the right figures. And mm-hmm. from a technological perspective, I think we are absolutely there today. If I just look at. Uh, what we deliver to the market ourselves, although I don't want to focus on that too much today. Um, the, the whole, let's say, take out, the exercise of taking out any type of reconciliation to make sure that that's no longer needed by putting all of my financials uh, in, in one single financial truth, that's absolutely technically feasible. Um, so, and, and I think that's a very important one because there's far too much time lost on reconciling all kinds of different sources of, uh, of information within uh, any organization today and so that's my uh, my additional point to that coming coming to the sustainability that's also Mm -hmm. where I think there has been an awful effort uh, a really big effort uh, going on to make and it's again Partially related to the transparency piece, but really also making, for instance, all of the cost allocations which are flying around and that nobody really understands anymore. What what it's in there uh, to make that completely transparent? And today, far too many of those allocation principles have been let's say put in place like ten years ago or something by somebody in controlling who's no longer there. That's really also the point, um, let's say, that's at least how I interpret this, needs the dependency of an individual human being we need to take out. So, but, of course, technology needs to support us in, in getting that transparency out there of, of all of my cost allocation modeling and also after having run my cost allocation. And, again, I believe, let's see, the tools are there uh, to, to support organizations uh, with that. Um, one other element that I on purpose wanted to keep that last um, mm-hmm. um, is is when when um, when Mike was talking about let's say monthly closing. Um, I'm not sure what what's uh, what he meant there. Um, maybe we're on the same page, maybe we're not. Uh, what I see is that let's say monthly closing, having this monthly picture as we usually do in finance. That's really um, something, in my, in my opinion, of the past or should be something of the past. No matter where, what type of goals we're looking at, entity close, subconsolidation, group level uh, reporting information, we need to be able to deliver the financial information to the rest of the organization at any moment in time. It needs to be done whenever it's called out for by, for instance, the sales set or, let's say, the CEO or anybody else in the organization. So, um, I believe we need to really get away from let's say, this idea of having a monthly call, especially from a managerial accounting perspective from uh, from uh, from the internal steering perspective. yes, it's okay from a legal perspective, but that's not what we're supposed to talk about here. I think that's not really the real profitability management so there um I just want to emphasize uh that my take it is is it needs to be able to we need to be able as finance professionals to deliver financial information at any moment in time internally in the organization in order to proactively steer or even go beyond and as I said before let's say already try to look ahead uh, more and more um, so that's uh, let's say probably a, a little a little element for, for further discussion maybe I don't know
1: Thank you very much, Michelle. Uh, Mike, is there something that Michelle Rob will get to in a second? But Mike, I think he mentioned something. He had a question of whether you were on the same page about. I think it was a monthly closing. Rob, you want to make a comment back on that, Mike?
0: Sure. So um, I I want to agree. I think philosophically, yes, I agree. Um, There's there's uh, certainly reporting requirements, um, regulatory and whatnot that require. You know, closes this to be at a certain point in time. And there's also a lot of corporate inertia that just says, this is how we do it. And that's a big mountain to move sometimes. Um, however, we're actually seeing in our, in our own experience here that um, monthly is not enough. And I think that's also right, right in with what Michelle was saying is that the data needs to be more timely than monthly. And we're seeing cases where we, we run a, a cost allocation model that runs on a monthly, monthly sequence, but then mid month um, or part way through the month, there needs to be some. Some, I'm going to call it extrapolation, but to basically construct a, effectively how, like a, a mid-month uh, P&L at that, that's down at that, that detailed customer product level and also then kind of create a kind of a, half, a halfway pro, pro forma for the next month just to kind of show how it looks like the next month is going to look, so kind of live fire forecasting.
1: Thank you very much. Rob Kugel, you know I get to you. Talk to us. What do you think?
2: Well, I think one of the encouraging technology trends in, uh, in 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 this area of ERP systems or financial management systems, whatever you want to call them, is uh, that we're at a point where uh, the data, uh, uh, you know, to to date, is now increasingly available. So, I guess you know, one of the things that we can do increasingly is be able to do these kinds of of allocations. Uh, on a near real time basis, if, if, if you'd like, but but that in turn uh, begs the question, that, you know, in terms of transparency of, well, well, how are we actually constructing uh, these profitability models, and um, and and does everybody accept that? And that, in turn, is, is a big management challenge. Uh, I, I agree. I think it was Mike said, you know, that people haven't been changing, but maybe it's Michelle. But a lot, of, a lot of companies, you know, just have got the same old allocation methods that they've been using all along. And uh, very likely those aren't going to be cutting it if they've been around for a while. Uh, there needs to be, as part of that transportation, I'm sorry, transparency, um, you know uh, uh, the, the willingness to reconsider how costs are allocated, uh, where they are uh, more indirect and perhaps more ambiguous. So uh, companies need to work on that, and that in turn is a real leadership issue, communication issue. Um, that, that they need to be able to work through that. And then you know the data management thing is um, you know there you know when when you start to get into uh, you know cost drivers and things like that, we, we now are talking about collecting possibly a much broader set of data uh, that are, you know, related to operations so that those allocations are more of an economic reflection of what's going on in the company as opposed to, well, this is close enough.
1: This is close enough. Okay, that's a good, good closing line there. Uh, Mike, this was yours. Anything you want to add to this before I move on to something from Michelle's list?
0: Um, no, I think that's good for now. I'm going to move on.
1: Okay, thank you. Very interesting. I have a a kind of a cultural comment here from Michelle Hasendogs. I think it's cultural, Michelle. He says, it wouldn't hurt for CFOs to be somewhat more rock and roll. Many of them are merely delivering figures to the rest of the organization. Just the status quo. Why not challenge this more? Why not proactively think of alternatives? Michelle, please explain this. Interesting commentary here. (laughs) Well, in
3: fact, the the. The quote in itself, it came up about a year ago uh, when I was doing an interview with a business magazine. And basically, the editor said, well, why don't we name the article like this? It wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt just for the CFO to become a little more rock and roll. And it's actually true. If you look at, let's say, a lot of finance professionals, there are um, and of course you have different types, right? But there's a lot of finance professionals who come from the let's say um more accounting side and there's no good or bad in this, right? It's just different types of people. Um and and let's say yeah they're they're great with figures. Uh but what what sometimes uh, is is, is, is at least as much valued by the uh, valued by the rest of the organization is somebody who's really thinking along uh, with, let's say, how can we make our business grow. Um, another maybe very practical quote, rather than theoretically explaining, um, let's say, what, what what I noted down um, was is to let's say look at it from from this angle. Okay, I was in a, I think in a, in, a, in a group of about one hundred controllers. And, and like in that group, I asked, like, say, how many of you do have a direct RSS feed or something like that on your laptop or or on any other device? Bringing in any specific information which is particular to the industry that you are working in. And out of the almost 100 people, only one hand came up, um, which was kind of giving me the idea, well, And, again, I'm putting it a little extreme here, but it seems that, let's say, we could be, as finance professionals, more interested in the core business of where we are. Because when we're talking about cost management, when we're talking about profitability, um, these are lagging indicators, aren't they? they, Let's say the the real leading indicators behind are the operational drivers, which make my business grow or or collapse. Um, And the financial results are kind of, the let's say, um, the the visualization, all of that at the end of the road. So shouldn't we think a little more, let's say, based on those operational drivers? I think a lot of organizations are getting into that space. Uh, uh, for instance, talking about driver-based planning and, and, things, and things like that. Um, but that's basically where this... Um, this topic came from. Yeah, we are on the great on the good way. There is a lot of let's say finance professionals. I think which are going into that direction, but I think they are still uh, very much of indeed, uh, maybe not a, a regional cultural gap, but uh, different types of personalities which are working on the partners uh, side. Um, and and let's say we can we can definitely evolve. Um doesn't mean that they all need to be replaced, of course, but I think uh, it doesn't hurt to evolve and to understand what your own business is in to, to help it grow as well by thinking out of the driver-based concepts rather than the pure financials.
1: Thank you well, very much. There. That, that was provocative. I appreciate that. Rob Kugel, climb in, join in, jump in the, in whatever end of the pool you want. Rock and roll. What do you think?
2: Well, I guess I would agree that culturally or by personality type, I've met a lot of CFOs who are the real rock and rollers. Well, on the other hand, I'm encouraged, especially in, in, in the kind of research that we've been doing, we've been noticing, you know, a generational change taking place. And, and you know, so the the CFOs are, are you know, tend to be much more open to technology. I don't think we've turned the, the, the corner, but, you know, I think they're a little, they understand it a whole lot better. And we're making, as I like to say, we're making progress one gold watch at a time. Um, so I think, you know, that, that, that 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 that's part of of why i'm encouraged by uh, the, the potential of, of of technology becoming more central to what uh, uh, finance organizations and and finance executives are are, are spending their time focusing on um, i guess the, in, in another point is yeah you know as, as as michelle was mentioning you know there's a lot more analytics that are necessary uh to make this kind of profitability management um uh a reality so uh and one of the uh, one of one of the quotes that I was considering giving you today Bonnie was uh, one of my favorite ones by uh, uh uh George Ball and and he said all models are wrong some are useful and what he meant <laughs> by that was yes. um you're you're never going to get the kind of precision um that you want to get um in, in, you know, at the end of the day, with any kind of model, uh, that you're using. So you need to come up with models that are useful in, in driving the right results. Um, one of the, 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 challenges, I think Michelle was bringing this up, you know, culturally, one of the challenges with people who are, you know, they, were, you know, they, they they're accountants, um, and it's, it, you know, it's necessary in some cases for everything to tick and tie. But you really need to be thinking about what's really, really important and be able to figure out what's, you know, divide the world into these 80-20s where you're just focusing in on the the most important things, especially when you're starting, in order to get the kind of results you're looking for. one of the differences between accounting and running a business or running operations is in accounting, everything has to tick and die, pretty much. Uh, it all has to, you know, foot uh, at the at the end of the day. Um, business is a lot more messy than that. Uh, notwithstanding our earlier comments that said, well, you know, people have got to have faith in uh, the results of, of these models. But I think, you know, there's, there's a difference between, you know, just kind of, you know, getting it, pretty much right to a level of acceptability versus um, taking the time and having everything tick and tie, especially where it may be very difficult to get everything to tick and tie.
1: Thank you very much. By the way, uh, panelists on a different show last week used that George Box exact same quote about the models, Rob, and I had never heard of George Box and never heard that quote, and now two of you have used it within a couple of days of each other I think we're running out of quotes, Rob. I think think the world is running out of quotes. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, Mike Ray, thoughts on, we've got a lot of good information rolling around the table here. I've just got a few minutes till we do our predictions round. So, Mike Ray, why don't you wrap this up with comments on what Michelle shared? Go ahead.
0: Sure. First off, I'm going to keep that quote for future use myself as well. Um, But uh, my answer here, I guess my uh, thoughts on, uh, Michelle's statement is that uh, I think all CFOs do want to rock and roll, at least most of those that I've met. Um, the challenge becomes, I think for a lot of them, is just their people tend to be very busy, kind of just in the quagmire of making the donuts. And if you look at you know, who leaves the office at the end of the day, late, latest by far, it's usually the, the folks in, in, that work underneath the, the office of the CFO. And just to, just to kind of do the, the daily things they're already doing, and so, uh, technology has made those those things much more efficient and can con- continue to do so. But uh, I think that it, it's important to to have a, a cohesive picture of what a, a customer profitability and profit profitability system can be, so that it's not like yet another very manual, time-intensive thing for somebody to maintain, and that it's, it's not only is a system system-based, but it can be automated so that it's a thing that, that operates as part of the, the business. You keep the servers plugged in and, and people are maybe managing exceptions uh, on a case-by-case basis, but basically a customer-level P&L or product-level P&L can be a natural output of the, the, the future state
3: uh, finance system.
1: Thank you. Michelle, I think I can squeeze in about two minutes for you to comment. I know Rob Kugel knows what the drill is next. He's teeing up his predictions for our crystal ball predictions round. But uh, Michelle, do you want to comment back to either one of them on what they said on your statement about rock and roll? I thought that was a great, great uh, addition to the show. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, I, I, first of all, I didn't want to let's say that there's there's no CFOs or group controllers and so on that are uh, that are rock and roll around around the globe. There's a lot of them who are. I just uh, p- want to put it in just to make uh, make the other ones uh, awake. Although it might still be uh, uh, let's say a minor group or a larger group. I don't know. We can. We- there's 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 no detailed information on that, and it of course depends on the person. So I, I let's say I think that's an absolutely right point. On the on one one last thing on the automation that um, I think Mike was was ending up with, I think that's absolutely true. Let's say there's there's more and more data, there's more and more automation possible. Of course, we need to apply all of that on these useful models, which were then per, uh, earlier on uh, quoted by by Rob. Um, in order to, let's say, uh, really think ahead. Um, And with that, back to you.
1: Thank you very much. Rob Kugel, I've got exactly 60 seconds on the dot for your prediction. What do you see in the crystal ball in terms of rock and rolling CFOs or uh, Elvis Presley making a comeback back in the building when it's time for the the P&L to be looked at or just on the general topic? Rob Kugel, you're up. 60 seconds. Go.
2: I believe that increasingly companies are going to be uh, developing um, centers of excellence or, or, or some such thing for profitability. This is something that I believe belongs in the ft financial planning and analysis group. It's certainly uh, part of what I think any forward-looking CFO needs to be thinking about, how they engage more strategically with uh, the rest of the company uh, and, uh, and drive better results.
1: Thank you. Briefing to the point. Appreciate it. Mike Ray, you're up 60 seconds. What do you see in the future for this topic, financial hide and seek?
0: Sure thing. Uh, I think we're going to see uh, a customer and product level P&L come out as part of the financial closing closing process in many more customers than we do now. I think that's uh, kind of an afterthought that is done in maybe 25 to 30 percent of, of, of uh, opportunities, and it will Go up to you know, double or triple that uh, over time, and I think we'll see more of. In addition to the word allocation for how these things are done, we're going to see more of the word data science. And there's other algorithms that can be applied to to basically just do do the math to uh, to get to the best entry you can get by for customer and product level profitability.
1: Thank you very much, Michelle Monsieur Hazendonks. Talk to me. 60 seconds are all yours.
3: All right. Thank you. Well, we all know that there's more and more data uh, uh, which leads to more and more a cry for transparency which all needs to be delivered on a continuous basis. Doing all of that without the technological support I think that's just uh, become impossible. And from the technology perspective let's say times are changing very fast. Uh, we have been moving to current reporting, to predictive reporting and now we're getting more and more into the space of prescriptive analytics. And I think that only the uh, top of the iceberg of that area, which we're only seeing today. So that's definitely moving ahead into future.
1: Thank you very much. Gentlemen, I have learned a lot. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'm always amazed at how interesting, Rob Kugel knows us, how interesting financial excellence can be when we're talking about the nitty gritty of how finance people, CFOs and their teams do their jobs. So thank you to the three of you. And again, a shout out to Chris Grundy at SAP who sponsors this series along with Birgit Starmans and now Diana Heim. Thank you to the three of them. Thank you to our engineer Corey today. And we have pre-recorded the show and it will be on the air on July 9th, 2019, I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Listen up. Fasten your seatbelt. What in the world are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Rob Kugel at Ventana Research. Now I know what that means. Just like Mike Ray at Tartan Solutions, and just like Michelle Hazendonks at SAP. Signing off for now. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week.